welcome to this week's Terz Effie podcast. My name's Kate Parker and I'm joined by Julia Balgatai. Good afternoon. Hello and with us this week we have Simon Parkinson who is the Chief Executive of the WEA. Hi Simon. Hi Kate, hi Julia, thanks for having us. You're more than welcome, it's always lovely to see you. And so this week on TES we have published the WEA's Impact Report which looks at the ways in which the provision that they provide has helped adults upskill and retrain. Um, you know there's been a lot said about the importance of adult education now more than ever in the pandemic. You know adults are seeing themselves being furloughed or unemployed or in the need to you know, retrain um, so they can move up the ladder at their current workplace and the report really highlights the great work that the WEA have been doing on this. So Simon, to start off with, do you want to take us through some of the key findings from your report? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, and thanks, thanks for featuring um, the report for us. You know, we're, we're grateful for that because we do think it highlights some you know, really key issues for, for adult learning across England and Scotland, really. So if we start by looking at that skills and employability focus, we, you know, unfortunately, we know that unemployment is likely to peak at around 2.6 million, you know, middle of this year. And what our report shows is, is the real benefit of, of adult education around skills and employability. 40% of our students that told us they were claiming benefits as they enrolled on a course, six months later, 40% weren't claiming benefits, which is a, you know, a massive achievement. And one in four went on to find work directly after their course as well. So there's that, that real tangible link between adult education and finding, finding a job. And what we also know is that 87% of our students also tell us that they improve their skills and knowledge. And with 55% of them directly relating that to being able to do a better job in their existing roles. So real clear evidence that, you know, studying with the WEA and other adult education providers, you know, has that direct link. And then there's a, a couple of sets of highlights, if I may, that are you know, favourites of mine. We've, we've got a Step Into Care programme that we run across various parts of the country, and it's growing, actually. It's grown through the last sort of six months. And it's a sector that I know well, the social care sector, and it's a sector that needs you know, many skilled, passionate and empathetic people. And what we're showing in, in our report is that 78% of our students that studied that Step Into Care programme with us went on to secure work placements, which is, you know, fantastic. And then on the healthcare side as well, another sector that we've all come to, you know, really passionately, you know, be aware of and, and celebrate the, you know, the work of those NHS heroes. We worked with Sheffield University on their NHS apprenticeship programme for nurses. And we identified a cohort of potential nurses that, that just needed some early support with their numeracy. So, you know, not, you might think not the core skill of nursing, that, but, but actually needing that support. And what we found was 90% of those student nurses that we worked with went on to complete their apprenticeship and actually passed with pass marks that were higher than the, the base pass marks. So we were, you know, we were really, you know, grateful to be involved with that. And we were blown away by by the success of those students. So that's the skills and employability piece, but as, as many of your listeners will know, there's wider benefits to adult education as well, those societal benefits that, that we, we all understand. So we're really pleased again to see that, you know, 15% of our students directly tell us that they're less likely to visit their GP because their physical health has improved as a part of one of our 
you know, outdoor exercise or yoga classes, something for everybody at the WEA. But we also know that anybody that, you know, said to us at the beginning of their course that they were suffering with a mental health condition, 64% of those students said that they'd reduce their stress levels. Again, a direct benefit, you know, to knock-on services, that whole, that whole social prescribing piece. And 70% of students saying they've made new friends, so they were no longer feeling isolated and lonely. And then the final piece for me, which is, is relevant for anybody that's you know, homeschooling at the moment and the challenges that that, that brings, you know, juggling work and homeschooling. We, we found that 67% of our parent students told us that they were much more confident supporting their children with their reading, their writing and their maths. And that 39% actually said they thought that they'd seen improvements in their own children's educational achievements as well. So really strong set of, of results. And actually we're proud of each and every one of our students and, and the tutors and support staff that are wrapped around that to make sure that you know, people have, have one, enjoyed their course, and then two, got these real tangible benefits from, from studying. I mean, it's obviously brilliant that you're able to have that sort of an impact, particularly, you know, this year and over the last year. But can I ask, how has your delivery changed? Because you, you're already talking about, you know, attending courses and making friends on courses and the sort of traditional way that WEA has, has delivered courses. But how has your delivery changed in the past year and how have those changes impacted staff and your students? Yeah, you're right, Julia. It, it, it's changed massively. Um, and, it, and the reason it's been able to change so quickly and so successfully is, is really down to the, you know, the tenacity of our students, but actually the agility the, and the, the forward thinking of our tutors and their ability to adapt to what has been, you know, overwhelmingly online virtual classrooms. So I joined the WEA um, just at the, the beginning of 2019 in January. And one of the things I asked originally was, you know, we've got to do a little bit better maybe with our online offer. You know, how, how, how could we really grow that? And I was, you know, understandably met with the answer that, well, you know, our, our um, students are predominantly a little bit older. Our tutors are, you know, traditional in terms of their face-to-face -face delivery methods. So, Simon, if you really push it, maybe we can get as many as 100 courses online next year. We've got over 3,000 courses. We've had, you know, 36,000 students studying with us online. We've had to buy two new servers to stick all the, the educational material on. A million views on Canvas, which is our VLE. It's, it's phenomenally changed. And it's, you know, large parts of that is here to stay. And like I say, it's down to our students. Many of us are, t are telling us they can't wait to get back to face-to-face -face teaching and learning but don't switch Canvas off because we still want to go online and, and get all the material and be able to see all the material and talk about that material with our, with our classmates. So online learning is here to stay for us. We'll always have a national online program now. That means we can connect people from different ge geographical locations. That's, that's one of the benefits. But actually, we're all, we're all desperate to get back to the, that close friendship circles and bonds that, that studying physically together creates. And obviously, you, know, you were saying then about, you know, the thousands of people that you've had to log in, but 
obviously, you know, generally adult participation has has fallen in education. And I think it's pretty obvious, you know, to at least, you know, all of us here that it's going to be really key, um, you know, that we support adults to kind of retrain and gain skills who might have been furloughed or unemployed because of COVID. So do you expect to see a rise in participation rates again, you know, as we kind of, you know, recover from the pandemic? I think I think we will recover, Kate. Yes, and I think that that return to to face to face teaching and learning, you will see a, a quite a significant, I think, upward upward spike straight away. And, and it's right that we, we've we've actually seen some increases in skills type training. You know, partly due to devolution and and some of the mayoral authorities changing their their provision to a more skills based approach. And we have seen, you know, as the sector has a, a decline in, in what we call participation rates for, for community learning. But I've been thinking about this quite a bit, really, and, and, and thinking about how as a sector we make sure that we don't, we, don't, we don't build this point that somehow if there's a decline in participation rate, that means that there's an apathy in the population towards lifelong learning, because I, I don't think that's true. If you think about lockdown, if you think about anybody that, you know, any adult that, that did a Joe Wicks exercise class or anybody that's been binge watching documentaries on, on Netflix, are they adult learners? Do they, do they even see themselves as adult learners? If you've dipped in and out of TED Talks, are you an adult learner? And I think the challenge for us as a sector is to encourage people to think about themselves as adult learners and that they are interested in lifelong learning because that might be the first step to getting them back into a, a, a little bit more of a structured learning approach. And, and hopefully then we can see those participation rates that we as a sector obsess over. Maybe we can see them going back up as well, but you know, let's, let's do our bit to promote that you know, adult learning can take all, all shapes and sizes and all forms. So, so yeah, I, I, I do think it will recover. I think you know, it's, a, it's a big part of our, our societal and economic recovery going forward. And, you know, interest in, in adult learning is one thing, but the cost of adult learning is, is another. So the government announced a lifetime skills guarantee uh, for adults who don't have a, a level three and they can do a course for free. Do you think that goes far enough? What did you make of that announcement? Is there anything you'd like to see announced on top of that? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question, Julia. And um, whenever you talk to a charity leader, maybe this is the scoop of this podcast, when charity leader says there's no need for additional funding. Enough you know, money, thanks um, <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it, it's true. I mean, CBI say that only 2% 2, 2 of the entire education spend goes on adult learning. So that, that doesn't feel right to me, given what we've just said about the, the real benefits and outcomes that adult learning can drive both economically and, and and in terms of the societal recovery so we'd like to see obviously we'd like to see a little bit of a higher proportion of the the overall education budget go to adult learning but i think we've also got to be realistic about the the state of the public purse going forward you know the um, the government will point to the sort of national skills fund and the investment that it's making in in skills and employability and, and that's, that's good, but it, it can't come, when we get to the, the comprehensive spending review, it can't come at the, at the expense of funding for community learning. So we can't, we can't be seen to be setting off one element of funding against the other. So, so what I would say we need, and, and the white paper talks about this a little bit, is you know, we need some certainty 
on funding and, we, and we've had that through the pandemic from the vast majority of our funders so ESFA have, have you know stuck by us and, and talked about you know trying to come to a decent point on reconciliation this year many of the mayoral authorities have I, I would call for us to to talk about a two or three year settlement where even if the the bottom line doesn't increase that much that there's more flexibility and there's there's less um, emphasis on trying to reconcile back to a student number that we just said is is almost meaningless now post-COVID because this isn't a v-shaped recovery we'll see that spike up that I talked about but this is this is a reshaping of the adult education landscape and I think what all providers want is just is just some certainty on funding just a little bit extra why not but let's have that certainty let's try and lock in for two or three years that says you know this is this is the amount of money the amount of adult education budget that's available and and you know being grant funded to providers so that that would be my ask and what, what about the lifetime skills guarantee what did you make of that announcement and does it go far enough do you think i think i think it's, it's got real potential julia it, it could be it could be a real game changer for the sector i think it's it's a little bit of a long way off so talking about it being implemented in 2025 is you know that that won't sound that reassuring to people who are trying to reskill and retrain today you know have been made unemployment who have been made unemployed as a result of the pandemic so you know i think we could try and do it a little bit quicker that 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 would be helpful and also there's there's just that there's there's technicalities to work through because I think the intention is right and the government see level three qualifications as, as the bridge to employment but if we just explore that a little bit there's, there's a problem with firstness so they'll, they'll fund the first level three qualification but that step into care example I just gave you if you've already got a level three in engineering but actually you now, you now want to transition into the the care sector that desperately needs you that's you know got you've got all the skills and empathy to succeed in that sector but you need a level three qualification and you're out of work so funding it yourself is difficult that i think that's an issue that needs to be looked at and addressed i don't think it is the case that you'll get people doing multiple levels loads and loads and loads of level three qualifications i just i can't see that so i think firstness is is an issue um so I'd, I'd like to see that. And, and if level three is the bridge to employment, then we have to make sure that we put the accessible rampway in place up to the bridge as well. So level one, level two, you know, to think that, you know, the majority of adult learners can jump straight into level three or A level in, in old money. If, you know, to think that they can jump straight to that bridge, I think it's just unrealistic for for many, many of the, the learners we work with. They need that rampway that meanders up to it, that they can do at their own pace, their own time. So in, in the sector, we talk about modular approaches and units and credits, but actually what we really need is people learning at their own pace and in their own way so that they can get to that point where achieving a level three qualification and getting into the job that they, they desperately want to do is, is there. So. I'd like to see, you know, just a lot more consultation with the sector to say, how can we do this? Because, you know, we, we can do this. We can fix this. The, the lifetime skills guarantee is the right language. It's the right intent. You know, let's work together on the technicalities of it so that we, we achieve what I think we, 
we all want to achieve. I guess it's a whole idea of retraining, isn't it? If we're talking about retraining, that might by the very nature mean some sort of level duplication, for lack of a better phrase. You might just have to cross a few bridges again that, you know, in another area you've already crossed. Yeah, I think that's right in, in today's environment, Julia. The, the analogy we used to use was run, rungs on the ladder, didn't we? But that was almost linear that you'd go level one, level two, level three. Now I think you might go level one, level two, or career switch, and it's called back to do a level one or jump straight to a level three. And that's why I like the, the accessible rampway sort of analogy better than the, the ladder approach, because that makes it sound linear and that you can just do it in, in one certain way. And many people can, but, but many people can't, just with chaotic lifestyles. As we've said, you know, balancing family, work, home life, you know, it, it's just a little bit more messy than a straightforward one, two, three, you're in a job, I think. In terms of, you know, support that you need right now, obviously I know we, we've, we've spoken before about the, the devices and the need for adults to have devices too. And then I guess also, you know, as, as the, you know, Prime Minister looks to reopen schools and whatever, um, you know, approach that takes, um, in the past adult education hasn't always been prioritised when having those sorts of discussions. So what, what would you really like to see from the government right now to be able to support you guys in this? Yeah, the, the, those two things. I'd, I'd like to see that recognition that um, there needs to be some certainty in terms of funding, even if there isn't a, a massive increase in funding, so that we can carry on adapting to the, the new ways of delivering. I think it's, it's right and understandable that, that government, charity, and even the BBC have focused on the digital divide for, for children in terms of getting kits and, and connectivity to, to children. I, I think as a nation, we need to explore that for adult learners. You know, you know, this notion that, you know, everybody's digitally connected is just, it's been blown apart, I think, by COVID. And it's not just about having, you know, the latest smartphone or a, a great laptop. It's about just having anything that can connect you to the internet. It's about being able to afford to pay for connection. And then it's about the skills and confidence to, to be able to use it. This notion of, oh, you can just Google it. Well, not everybody can, and, you know, and, and that's, I think it's a real big issue for us. I think, you know, working on that to make sure that every household is digitally connected, not just from an education point of view, but you and I know for access to public services, you know, booking a doctor's appointment, any sort of employment search now, it's online job boards, it's, you know, it's, it's so much more than just, just the education. So I think we've, We've got a real job of work to do to make sure that we, you know, we have got households. If we really want to level up, that's, a, that's as important as, as public infrastructure projects in terms of house building, road building, bridge building. Actually, how, how do we get everybody to a, a similar level of digital sort of connectivity? I think that's, that's important. And what about the return, the return to, you know, physically being in your centres again? What sort of support would you like from the government on that? Yeah, I think the, what we're hearing from many of our really small um, community providers, often quite local charitable-based organisations, is that they've been hit really, really hard, that they, they probably feel there's not been as much support for small charities as there maybe has been for small business. And, and we're fearful that many of the community venues that we, we used to use, may not, they may not be open, or they may not be able to safely open even if the 
the social distancing restrictions are lifted, there's something about student confidence, you know, and, and the student experience. Do we want to do we want to push 30 people back together in in a, a small community setting? Or actually, does it need to be 15 in a better digitally enabled setting with a, with a bit of space around each other? So we've got a real challenge to find, to try and support our, our long-standing community partners where we can, and we'll do that. You know, we, we don't want to see those, those small community venues disappear. But I think we've got a real challenge to find the next generation of, of community learning venues. And I think that's why the government's commitment dfe's commitment to the, the capital projects uh, uh, is so important because we we shouldn't just see this as a as a new college business center on campus what about a learning hub on the high street what about you know that that technology center where that community can go and, and learn so you know we'll, we'll be working as as hard as we can to make the case that some of that capital investment you know could legitimately you know and it's within the rules you know, take a slightly different format and put some put some real high quality learning spaces on the high street. Mm, definitely. Well, look, Simon, thank you so much for um, speaking to us. It's always a pleasure to see you and speak to you. Um, we really appreciate you, you know, taking the time to talk through the findings and everything. And it's great to see the work that the WA are doing. Yeah, no, thanks, Kate. And, you know, thanks, Julia. And yeah, let's carry on, you know, that's the call to the sector. Let's carry on working together to promote you know, the great work that we do right across the sector. So thank you. Exactly. Absolutely. So come back at the time. Yeah. And thank you, you know, to our listeners for listening as always. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks and goodbye. Bye.